You know, we typically would take them around to, you know, look at the gals who are sorting, you know, wrapper, uh, binder, filler by, by um, tobacco as their holes in it. Now, whatnot. why do women do it? Because I heard women do it because they have more rods and cones inside their eye. So they do all the coloring of the boxes because they can see better colors than men. Yeah, they, uh, that's how it was explained to me. And I mean, my girlfriend's way better at looking for things than I am. So it makes sense, you know, (laughs) she finds things I could never find. You're listening to Box Press, where we are passionate about cigars and how to care for them. Welcome to Box Press. I'm your host, Rob Gagne. In-house is Alec Bradley's rep, Mikey the Lumberjack Zahn. And today we're going to talk all about Mikey's take on cigars, being a handmade roller, giving factory tours, and how he got into being a sales rep for Alec Bradley. How you doing, Mikey? Good, brother. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. It's good to be here. What are we smoking today? Uh, today, I figured, you know, it's about four o'clock, light up a post embargo. It's uh, one of my favorite cigars we make. It's good all around uh, for like time of the day wise. I can have it with my coffee in the morning. I can have it, you know, midday with my lunch or after my lunch. And then, you know, no matter what I smoke throughout the day, I can always taste it because it's got a nice little light pepper throughout with the medium body. So it's one of my favorite cigars just for any time. Yeah, this is a good stick. Yeah, right. Got enough flavor for the guy who likes a lot of flavor and, and not too overpowering for the new guy. Yeah, it kind of bridges a nice little gap between, you know, having to go from mild with no pepper, medium with really no pepper, to full body to actually get that pepper to it. This has the pepper within a medium body, so I don't have to jump full. I can just start medium with the day. Exactly. What about the cigar? What's the stats on it? Where's Uh, it from? Cigar-wise, the build of it is Honduran and Nicaraguan tobacco. I mean, we have a Honduran wrapper on it, two binders, one from Honduras, one from Nicaragua, and then the filler's going to be both Honduran and Nicaraguan tobacco. So, just real nice smoke. One of my favorites. Mikey, our guests probably don't know, but you're with Alec Bradley Cigars. But you have a unique start into the cigar business. So tell me a little bit how you got started in cigar business. Well, I uh, got started with cigars, of course, at 18. Uh, but when I turned 18, I started working at a store uh, part-time in Wisconsin, in Delfield, over at uh, Lake Country Cigars, and I was there for a very long time. Um, basically, you know, I, I love cigars. I wanted to learn more about them, wanted to kind of get myself into the industry. And so I, uh, I just started working there part-time. I'd you know, Monday through Friday work uh, as a lumberjack, Monday through Thursday, depending on hours, uh, tens or eights working every day. Um, and then on the weekends, I would go to the shop and I would, you know, mostly open and close on Saturdays and sometimes Sundays. And over the years, as jobs changed and, and uh, more of a staple at the store, I started working more, you know, always events, always all the, you know, reps would come in like me now and be like, oh, hey, Mikey, what's going on? Like, are you working the event tomorrow when I have it? I'm like, heck yeah, I'll be there. Exactly. You know, so it, it, it basically that store grew me to where I am now or the passion with people I met there while I was there. So started off there. And then after, you know, kind of always knew I wanted to be a rep after seeing all the reps come through and, and learning their job, the ins and outs, you know, from conversation over the years and, and when it came time and, you know, they would let me go out. I jumped over with, with Alec Bradley cigars about almost two years ago. So Nice. Yeah. But you have a unique start 
down in Honduras being a roller slash a guy who gives tours as they come through, right? Yeah, I wanted, uh, at this point in life, I was doing masonry work, you know, so your season, you know, it's a very seasonal job. We Wintertime, mortar doesn't set very well, so most winters I was off and I would just work the shop pretty full-time. So I said, you know what, I kind of want to take off. I want to go learn more about cigars. I want to learn start-to-finish process, and I want to learn to bunch and roll cigars. And so the opportunity came up, and... Uh, I moved out in 2014 for about three months to Honduras and, and uh, you know, worked in the factory there. Wake up in the morning, hang out with the tour, you know, have breakfast and coffee with them, get their, their cigars out and, you know, kind of have a morning cigar. Then once they would go on the tour for the day, I'd go to the factory and I'd work. Uh, then go back for lunch, hang out with them again, then go back and work to the end of the day and hang out with them all night then. So, you know, it was split between working in the factory most all day and little hints in the day where I'd go back and see them if they were coming back to the house or not. So Nice. Yeah. So you learned there the importance of rolling cigars, how to roll them, and, and how did that shape kind of what you know now and how you approach cigars, really? Well, I think anybody who's ever been on a tour would say that you most people don't really know what's, you know, put into the product, how much time is put into each cigar, how labor intensive uh intensive <laughs> intensive it is and and how much, you know, love and care goes into each cigar that we smoke here in our US market and it just built a greater appreciation for me. On, on the people who do everything from, from planting the seedlings and run, you know, the nurseries all the way to the people who put the labels on at the end. You know, there's, there's just a level of excellence that's expected in our, in our industry that, you know, to do these things, you have to be good and you really have to hone that craft to be successful. And the, the people that, that I worked with in the factory were true masters of what they do. Right. So, yeah, you shot a video, or Alec Bradley shot a video that we'll probably put inside this segment um, at the end of it. So stay tuned for that. But really, it shows a lot of how much the whole process is all done by hand, even from putting the seedlings in the the massive field. They got wood sticks and wood dowels, and they're you know putting that in the dirt, measuring, and it's amazing. And then, really, the only automated part that I saw was the little mower that you told me now tell me why why do they mow down the the seedlings well they they mow them down because like any plant when when like say you have two trees side by side whatever tree gets bigger faster is going to take more sunlight and kind of you know take all those nutrients and and whatnot from the sun away from the smaller one and that'll grow healthy and big but the other one will kind of be you know a little bit less healthy so when you got your nurseries you want everything to be the same height so they're not fighting for sunlight they all kind of grow together at the same pace so gotcha. you know you have this i was joking it's a ghetto lawnmower no handle nothing just the just the mowing part on on two horses and you push the seedlings under it and then you put a little stick you know get it through it's awesome i i was, I was yes. blown away when i saw it it was, it was quite impressive but smart like you oh, said yeah. every every canopy has to be at the same height so we don't shade out something that won't grow yeah, it's not like new farming where you can have like all these crazy uh, mowers and whatnot that that take out the human error uh, prior to them even setting foot on the field. These 
this is the science of humans creating tobacco, you know, yeah. and, and doing it in the, the most scientific way they know, uh, the test of time, you know, how, did this work? What works best is how we have to do everything from point A to point B, you know, so it's, uh, it's impressive to see, you know, people doing things at such a, uh, such a high level right. without the technology. Tell our viewers a little bit about just the farming process in general. So getting a seed from stock to rolled tobacco, just a quick overview. I know the video does a a good job about it, but being down there, you know. Well, (laughs) hey, um, start off basically, you know, we take them to a nursery. And with the nursery, we'd show them just, you know, the seeds getting planted, if they were getting planted at that point into their little um, little cups, almost like you did in like elementary school. You put your little seed in the cup, right. you bury it with, doil, yeah. with the oil, uh, soil, and then you would dump your water on it, hope, you know, watch it grow. And, uh, or if they were, you know, shredding them down a little bit to keep them all at the same height. So we take them there, show them that, and then, you know, once that's, if, once that's finished, if there was a time where we were planting, we'd take them out to the field so they get to see everybody, you know, who was working in the field. They'd all be waiting outside on, like, the, the posts and whatnot around around the field they were planting. Once the van shows up, uh, they'd take all the stuff out and just start going to town. And they'd use their, their stick you mentioned earlier, a little uh, d- cutout on the end of it, all a foot long for the fields I was at. And, you know, measure foot, dig, plant, foot, dig, plant. So same thing with sunlight. You want all of them to get the same amount of sunlight, the same amount of love, so you you uh, space them out strategically to do so. You know, from that point, we would take them, you know, to where the, the um, barns were, and they'd be hanging the wet leaves to dry out. And, and uh, I mean, you're talking... Some of the, the the buildings I was in, they'd be like uh, 60 feet tall, you know, these big barns like we have here. But there's wood pieces stacked all the way across, and they'd climb up the, the horizontal ones all the way up and just lay these long sticks full of tobacco leaves hung over, and they would, you know dry them out there so you'd have guys these things are not big either the the wood they were climbing up on maybe that round and you'd have like three guys on each one i'm climbing up one of them i'm like this is a pretty shaky i'm a lumberjack right, and i'm right. like i don't know if i should be on this not but as they have their whole system there so not as sturdy Damn. as the trees we have in the great north here oh no no uh, king of the north you know because we got the trees yeah um how long it, would it dry for then how long would the tobacco need to kind of sit in depends. there and dry? all depends it all depends i mean different tobaccos are going to be different uh thicknesses and different uh word won't be consistencies but that, right. that's the best way to describe it i mean you take you know a sumatran wrapper versus a, a, a cameroon wrapper cameroon's super thin and it, it dries you know, out it probably dry out way quicker because it's not as it's not as thick as a different wrapper would be so you know they take it they'll have them all in sections for each kind of tobacco and then they'll just kind of you know go all the way up and all the way down on these on these wood uh, pieces going across and they just you know wait for them to dry out correctly you know, then we take them over probably to the factory, and uh, we get to see the plones where we put them to to ferment them and get all all of the bad flavors and chemicals out that come with uh, natural chemicals. Uh, all the stuff in it that would that would uh, hinder the taste. So like ammonia in, and yeah. all that off gassing that happens during the fermentation process. Yes. So they would just you know they'd put them in these big plones and they 
it's crazy because they're actually they would compost if they didn't flip them so they have like thermometers in there so they're like oh it's getting too hot this thing could be combustible soon so they'll you know they have a certain process uh, every say 30 days or so they'll do the exact opposite arrangement of what they have at first on a pylon across from it so it's literally the exact opposite and it's insane how these guys remember how to do it because i would lose my mind i wouldn't know what to do so they do that then you know we typically would take them around to you know look at the gals who are sorting you know wrapper uh binder filler by by um tobacco is there holes in it now why do women do it because i heard women do it because they have more rods and cones inside their eye so they do all the coloring of the boxes because they can see better colors than men yeah they uh that's how it was explained to me and i mean my girlfriend's way better at looking for things than i am so it makes sense you know (laughs) she finds things i could never find like does this shirt color look good honey oh yeah oh no hey where are my keys you know (laughs) it take me an hour she's like right there yeah Oh, great. Um, so, yeah, the, the women do all of that, That's and they're flipping fantastic at it. So I couldn't do it. Uh, anybody who goes there would be like, oh, that's nuts. I can't imagine, you know, seeing the difference yeah. between that shade. These look I, exactly oh, the same, yeah, guys. No, I'd be horrible at that job. Um, and after that, you know, we'll take them to the floor. You know, we'll take them to show them, you know, the bunch arrow, the roll arrow, working hand in hand, you know getting their molds put in and then the roll arrow taking the molds out and, and putting putting the wrappers on and then typically over to like uh, uh, putting your labels on or aging some more after that they're rolled together because typically I'd my rule of thumb is if you have a fresh rolled cigar and you're not going to smoke it right away give it at least eight weeks at least eight weeks just to kind of it's almost like a uh, scotch where you have to marry the casks like right. just to let the tobacco marry because you could have a cigar that tastes amazing once it's rolled fresh but you give it eight weeks it could taste completely different after tobaccos kind of mingle with each other in there so you know take them over there take them to the labeling process and see how you know since tobacco is all natural it's not like each one comes out the same color so you have gals who have a big um picture frame with all the color variations and they'll be making sure that your box looks you know even throughout if one box is a little darker all the cigars in there will will be just a little bit darker if it's a little bit lighter all of them will be a little bit lighter because they'll sort them out that way where they put the bands on yeah cool it's pretty fun kind of interesting that you talked about needing to blend cigars and let that sit down period of eight weeks happen talk about that a little bit because this isn't a quick process i mean you got Alec Bradley uh, wanting to make this cigar, you know, we might go through how many iterations would we go through until we finalize this? This, this could be like a couple year project, right? Yeah. Uh, any, any blend could be a couple year project. I mean, there's, oh, we want a little bit less pepper in there. How do we reconfigure the, the, in, the interior of the cigar to make it, you know, what we're looking to put out to the market? Because sometimes you can have, like, oh, this is an amazing blend. But if you already have so many blends in that category or flavor profile, you don't just want to keep adding. You know, you want to... Diversify. Yeah, diversify. You don't want... Not everybody's a full-bodied smoker. Not everybody's a mild smoker or a medium smoker. You kind of just want to catch a little bit of everybody so that they have a cigar in your line that they really enjoy. Or that, you know, if I'm doing an event and they don't smoke Alec Bradley, I can point them to something that I know they'll like compared to what they smoke. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because Alec Bradley does do a good job of having pretty much every single type of flavor or flavor profile that anybody could ever desire, right? Inside their entire repertoire. 
But as a salesperson, how do you get a, a shop to either carry certain flavor profiles to help that shop sell to their market? You know, I mean, I, I feel like every market is different. You know, um, I've gone to local smoke shops and I'm like, wow, I don't see this at this smoke shop as I do another smoke shop. Is that just because you guys are kind of tailoring to the owner's desire to project those flavors to their customers? It, it depends. Some shops are just naturally or areas. I mean, I have a bunch of different uh, places in my territory where certain things sell really well and other places where they do not. You know, it's coming in saying, what sells well for you? Is it the big ring gauge? Is it the small ring gauge? And then what kind of flavor profile does your like main customer ba- customer base smoke? And, and taking it from that and saying, all right, well, this is the profile in the cigar that I think will work well for you. And, you know, tailoring it afterwards so it, I, nobody knows why certain shops sell you know all big ring gauge or all small ring gauge but you just kind of you know talk right. to the people who are the experts the owners the people who manage the store and make the sales every day because they're going to be the ones who know exactly what would fit their customers profiles you know and and as for reps and companies we're not at that store every day so right. we don't know jimmy likes you know super mild in a 60 uh, with a slow burn, uh, it just you don't know. So, so you lean in on those sales reps and those uh, managers of each smoke shop to really tell you what you need to supply to them. Yeah, but nobody knows their business better than they do, and so exactly. I never try to you know think that something's going to sell really well just because it sold well somewhere else. It's it's what can I put into your portfolio, you know, at your shop to offer your people. That's good. So. That's a little bit different sales tactic. You know, let let me help you with what I have here. And do you think that Alec Bradley gives you those tools in in order to sell just to basically anybody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our our lineup is is so good that I can sell to anybody. Some guy comes in and says he wants this cigar. I've smoked this cigar. Retail for so many years is awesome because I've smoked most humidors that people have in their store. So it's like, oh, you like that? I know that body, that profile, that flavor you like. Try this cigar that we made. It's going to either, you know, be spot on with what you like or I'm going to challenge you to smoke something a little bit different, but I think right. you'll really enjoy if you just give it a shot. Right. You know, and it helped a lot to, to have that background in it. Nice. Yeah. So shop background, sales background, where does lumberjack background fit in? Ah, uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, the thing that happened is about to graduate high school about a year ago. No, I'm kidding. A, lot, <laughs> a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, either go to college or get a job. And I, you know, decided I want to learn a trade right off the bat. If I want to go to school, that's fine. You know, I can always go back to school or go to school for the first time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn a trade. And, uh, you know, fell into climbing around power lines with trees and taking them down and, and uh, you know, learning the whole lumberjack side of the world up in Wisconsin. So, you know, did that for about four years or so. I climbed every day. Wow. You know, we year round, it was a, it was a good time. Yeah, thickens up the blood. Um, <laughs> so I always get jokes, you know, jokes put on me about that, which is awesome. Cause being a lumberjack's cool. I love flannel. If I could be in flannel every day, I would. That's right, baby. Uh, my coat's flannel. There you go. Yeah. I got a pea coat that's flannel. I love it. But yeah, so that's where the lumberjack comes from, from actually being a lumberjack. Nice. Yeah. So with all this experience that you have from 
being in a field, being a roller, now being in sales, how does that shape how you pick a cigar? Is it very mood-based? Is it situational-based? How do you kind of approach, what am I going to smoke today? It's mood-based. I smoke mood-based. Uh, if, it, For instance, I have cigars that I love if I really want full. And it's some days, I'm like, I really want a full-bodied cigar right now. If it's in the morning or if it's you know in the afternoon, after dinner, uh, I'll be like, this is what I want to smoke. I know exactly what profile. I actually know most of the time exactly what cigar I want. Like even driving up here today, I, I, I had a cigar on the road, but I was like, you know what I want to smoke for, for box press? I'm like, I want to smoke a Post Embargo because... Smooth. Yeah, it was exactly what I wanted for the day. Or some mornings I'm like, oh, I want an Ikapua Rosado because, you know, it's got a nice floral note to it and it's aromatic, real good smelling. So I'm like, ah, I kind of want to smoke that this morning with my sure. coffee. You know, so it helps, you know, at a certain point knowing enough about the cigars in the industry and, and what you have to choose from to just be like, this is exactly what I'm going for. Right. It's almost like people who know wine really well. You know, I want this bottle of wine with yep. this meal or this uh, you know, bottle of wine for this festivity because that's, you know, it's Christmas and I really want a nice full red wine, which I know nothing about, so I apologize. But it's in the same, you know, same kind of thing. Exactly. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. We're going to field one question, and we can kind of both answer this, tag team this. Uh, Nathan Sharp asked us on Facebook, Hey, I have a humidor, and I just seasoned it with the Bovada 84s for two weeks. What is the humidity supposed to be at? Is 84 too high for humidity after seasoning? Just wondering. Love you guys. Thank you, Nick, for sending that in. What is your take on that? Well, for me, certain cigars like certain humidities, right? Uh, but my... Uh, we're seasoning now. So we're seasoning the humidor, not anything to do with cigars inside the humidor. Well, it's seasoned high, so the wood, I would season high like that to make sure the wood takes in a lot, as much humidity as possible. And then, you know, kind of bring it down as I put cigars in, which will happen naturally anyways. You know, typically once that portion of it's done, I'm going to hit right around 69.5. I like my cigars a little bit drier, so like 68 is, is where I, you know, what I use at home. Nathan, uh, I'll answer your question as well. The 84s go in there for 14 days, and we're not worried about the RH that goes inside there because we know that the humidor itself is going to absorb anywhere from 5 to about 20 grams worth of moisture. And if you do the correct amount of Bovida, one per 25 total capacity, so if you have a 50-count humidor, you should use two. If you have a 100-count humidor, you should be using four of our 60-gram Bovidas. And if you do that for the 14 days and it reads whatever RH it reads, it really doesn't matter because the wood is absorbing the moisture and a hygrometer can only measure the amount of moisture that's on the outside. Now, if you did reach 84, it's okay because that moisture is already inside the wood and it means it's equilibrated or leveled out. Um, Once you take the 84s out, and throw whether you run 75s, 72s, or 69s and your cigars inside, that high humidity that you're getting on your hygrometer is not going to affect your cigars because now you've implemented Bovida, the 69, 72, or 75, and the cigars. So we're no longer worried about the humidity during seasoning. We're only worried about what's going to happen afterwards when you put the Bovida packs inside. 
Well, thanks for tuning in to Box Press Episode 3. Thank you, Mikey Zahn, the Lumberjack, for being here. I'll let Mikey take it away with where you can find Alec Bradley Cigars. Well, you can find our product uh, and check your local tobacconist or cigar retailer first. Uh, Most of them will have it in, and if not, ask them about it, and I'd love to talk to them about it. Uh, But if you want, you know, a little bit more in-depth knowledge of uh, the cigars we make and and origin, all that fun stuff, you can find our website, alecbradley.com. And then, uh, yeah, you can find them most any brick and mortar you find. It'll have some, some sort of Alec Bradley in it. Perfect. Hopefully. Cheers, guys. Thank you.